That's good. You guys, um, I get always get at this unique vantage point that some of you don't get. Uh, I, I get to look at you from the stage. And one of the things, one of the questions that often runs through my mind when I'm up here is, like, why do at concerts do people rush to the front, but at church people want to sit in the back? Right? These front rows, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody sit in them. So next week, let's, let's reverse it. Sit in the front first, right? You're not going to. I know you're not going to. You guys, when I was 16 years old, I, I took Adrian on a date to the movies. Uh, I picked her up in my 2003 Pontiac Sunfire. It was blue. It had chrome rims. It was two doors. Uh, I had worked really hard in high school to buy that car. And, uh, and I remember, if I remember it right, that movie that I was taking her to in my beautiful little car was 51st Dates, which, by the way, still holds up. That movie is good. Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Can you imagine a cuter couple? Uh, I parked the car behind the movie theater, and then, because uh, it was it's 2003, right, I put my flip phone, my flip cell phone, in the glove box. You don't take your phone places in 2003, right? You leave it in the glove box. And we went and watched the movie, and, uh, you know, I did the... <sighs> You know, I, I made the moves, and, and uh, it was a good movie. And then, um, and then we came back out to my car, and I made a series of really depressing discoveries. Somebody had smashed the window on my car. And then I looked closer, and they had stolen my flip phone out of the glove box. And then I looked closer, and they had stolen my CD binder. Do you guys remember CD binders? I had, like, the four, four CDs per page one, and, like, it was Oh, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of CDs. And the, and the funny thing was, like, I was super Christian. I only had Christian music in my CD binder. So this thief took my all this Christian music, and honestly, I hope they listened to it. I hope they listened to it. I cleaned the glass off of my seat and we piled in the car. Oh, did I mention it's winter? So I got to drive home with, with the window down in winter. And I go to turn the car on, turn the key, nothing. Not only did this thief smash my window, steal my CDs and my cell phone, they had turned the lights on to my car. And so by the time I came out of the movies, the battery was dead. Right? Insult to injury. You know, sometimes life can feel like one disappointment after another. Right? It seems like disappointments come in series, not just single disappointments. And you turn on the news. Oh, please don't turn on the news. It's so depressing. They never say anything good on the news. You turn on the news, and it's just all terrible stuff. You scroll Twitter. Everybody's fighting. You, 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 you look at the Internet and, and politics and inflation and interest rates and another dead battery in your car, right? It just feels sometimes like there's so much out there that wants to discourage us. And when things pile up, when discouragement piles up in our lives, it can take root in our hearts. And it's easy to wear the weight of your disappointments. Now, King David was a guy from Scripture who knew this really well. King David's life, it was like 
it was really up and down. Uh, you know, I think uh, Doug talked about him, Doug Balzer talked a bit about him last week and how he was this warrior poet, right? Like he could chop your head off, but he could write a really good poem, and, you know, about chopping your head off, right? He, he was this weird kind of mix of human. Um, and, uh, and he knew a thing or two about discouragement. And we're going to look at, he, he wrote many of the Psalms in the, the book of Psalms in your Bible. M many of them were written by this warrior poet. And I'm going to read the opening lines of two Psalms for you. Psalm 23 starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I have all that I need. Right? That's good. Optimistic. Things are good. God is good. My life is good. I have everything I need. But let's go back to the opening line of Psalm 22. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Right? From the mountaintop all the way down to the valley. Just like that. And life can be like that. Right? Life can be, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need in one moment. And the next moment it can be, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what is the answer? To this discouragement? Is it bad? Is it, is it, should we always be on the mountaintop? What is the answer to discouragement? How do you climb your way out of the valley? And it's been my experience uh, as a, a longtime Christian uh, that we often have extremely unhelpful advice uh, for people who are discouraged. We, we've developed these pithy sayings or statements that are designed to encourage people, but uh, if you dig a little deeper into them, they're really quite not encouraging at all. I know you've heard some of them, and I, I'm willing to bet that you've even said some of them. Let's, let's look at them. One, God will not give you more than you can handle. Right? Have you heard this line? God will not give you more than you can handle. God works in mysterious ways. That sounds really great, but what does it mean? When God closes a door, he opens a window. Now, on the surface, these things seem kind of wise and kind of encouraging, but if you dig deeper, you'll discover they're kind of empty. Saying God will not give you more than you can handle to someone who is drowning in discouragement is not helpful, it's quite cruel. And, and just to set the record straight on that one, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. People quote it as if, as if it's a scripture verse. God will not let you go through more than you can handle. It's not true. It's nowhere. I read it. Start to finish. It's not in there. And then uh, telling someone God works in mysterious ways, who's asking tough questions about faith and about God and about life. God works in mysterious ways. That's not helpful. That's condescending. And sure, yes, sometimes when God opens or when God closes a door, he opens a window. Sure, I'll give you that. But in my experience, sometimes when God closes a door, he nails it shut. And he shuts all the windows. He boards them all up too. And you're left to figure out, what am I supposed to do now? I hate these over-simplistic sayings that are meant to help people going through complex, difficult discouragements. Which makes what I'm about to say a little bit embarrassing. Because I think the answer to discouragement is really quite simple. Now, I, I told this to Karen Godden yesterday. I said, simple and easy. And she said, nope, those are not the same things. Something can be simple and really hard. And she's right. This is so simple. 
This is this answer is so simple that it's really quite hard. I truly believe that the answer to discouragement is Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the source of everything good and everything true. I, be, I believe that Jesus holds the universe together, not in some figurative, poetic sense. I believe that Jesus literally holds all things together. And I believe that whatever good thing that we lack, Jesus is just waiting for us to ask him for. Today's message is titled Defeating Discouragement. And, and to help us see how we can do this, to kind of dig deep into this idea of how Jesus can be the answer to discouragement. He is the answer to a lot of things, but he can be the answer to discouragement. We're going to look at a story and discover how Jesus treated those who were discouraged. It's a story that is chronicled for us by uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, John. And it's in the book of John, chapter 5. So let's get into that now. Afterward, Jesus returned to, after what? Well, if you want to know, you're going to have to go read John 4. We're starting in John 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. And crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on these Porches. Now, in the ancient city of Jerusalem, there was this pool called Bethesda. And this pool exists in the city of Jerusalem today. You can actually go visit it. Actually, just a fun little tiny bit of history for you. For like 1900 years, they couldn't find this pool, right? It kind of drew criticism in the Christian world because nobody could find these this pool, Bethesda, described by the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. And it drew, it drew criticism to the story that maybe it wasn't accurate. And literally in the last 150 years, archaeologists discovered this pool by the Sheep Gate with five porches. Right, So it took that long for us to rediscover this pool called Bethesda. And it was no ordinary pool. Every once in a while, this deep pool, in some places it was as deep as 40 feet, it kind of fed into a cavern underneath the ground. Every once in a while, occasionally, this pool would begin to stir dramatically and bubble up. And people believed when this happened in this pool that it was an angel stirring the waters. And that the first person to, to get into the water when that happened was going to be healed. And so because of this, the lame, the sick, the broken, would set up camp on the edges of this pool, hoping to be the first ones in the water when it would bubble up. John tells us that one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. For 38 years. He couldn't stand and he couldn't walk. And I want you for a moment to try to put that in a first century context. Right? There's no wheelchairs. There's no uh, handicapable access anywhere. There's no support networks. There's no safety nets. This person for 38 years is surviving on their own. Isolated from friends and family. That social isolation that you know how it can be soul crushing. And he was unable to live, uh, earn a living, right? He can't work. He can't do anything to earn a living. And so he had to beg for money. 
and his hands and his and his and his forearms. I want you to imagine what it would what happened to those spending 38 years crawling on the ground, right? Getting places, crawling on the stone ground. His hands would have been rough and calloused. And there was no one there to take care of him. And so don't imagine this too far, but his personal hygiene, right? Like it, it would have caused him to be even more sick because he couldn't take care of himself. He was broken. He was hurting and he was alone. And for 38 years, he suffered. And this is the man Jesus sees when he walks towards Bethesda pool. And Jesus draws close to him. And he gets low to the ground with him and he looks him in his eyes and he asks him, would you like to get well? Not, hi, my name is Jesus. Would you like to get well? What a question. Of course you would like to get well, right? Any one of us would say yes. No one wants to hurt. No one wants to be sick and aching all the time and alone. Do you want to be well? Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. But he doesn't answer yes. He doesn't even have enough hope to say yes. He tells Jesus, I can't, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me for 38 years. He has lost all of his hope. He has spent his days around this pool hoping for a chance that he can get healed. And yet others trample over him and beat him every single time. For years he's longed for someone to help him get into the pool, but no one has. And now he doesn't even believe that it's possible. And I suspect he doesn't even believe that he's worth it. When you lose over and over and over and over again, many people give up. It's just kind of natural. Let me tell you about last month, our staff team went to Athabasca for a staff retreat. It's kind of a planning retreat. Uh, when we say retreat, it wasn't really fun, uh, but... Uh, it was yeah. So all day we would plan and figure out the year and what we're going to do as a church and where we're going. And then at night we'd eat a meal together and play games. And uh, and one of the games that we ended up playing was, uh, th well, this is the train game, Ticket to Ride. We played that, uh, which I didn't win. Um, but one of the games that uh, Shauna and Emily brought out was a game called Dutch Blitz. I, have you heard of this? Is it a Mennonite thing? Is that? Okay. So I've never played it before, but let me tell you something. I'm good at games, all right? So I'm like, any game you bring to me, I'm very, very confident that I, I'm going to learn it quickly and I'm going to win. And uh, it turns out that Shauna and Emily are also good at games, specifically Dutch Blitz. They would slam their last card down, and I would have a deck full of cards. I never came within 10 cards of winning after, after 10 rounds, after 50 rounds. It got so bad, so bad. This is public confession time. Bruins started helping me cheat by <laughs> taking some of my cards and sliding them onto the table and hiding them under the seat. And uh, just so you know, Bruin won at the train game, Ticket to Ride. She cheated at that too. <laughs> of 
I totally thought I was going to beat these people at Dutch Blitz. I never came close. I lost again and again and again. And finally, I stormed off like a child into the other room because I couldn't handle losing one more time. <laughs> when you lose hope, right? When you can't, when you don't feel like there is a chance for you to win, that's what we do. We give up. This man at this water's edge, he's desperate. He, he wants to be healed. But he doesn't believe it's possible anymore. There was no way for him to win. There was no way for him to be made whole. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. He says, Jesus, I can't. Mark doesn't say. He doesn't even know his name. He says, I can't, sir. I can't be healed. Jesus told him, stand up. Pick up your mat. Walk. And you know what happened? I bet you can guess. This man who hadn't stood on his own feet for 38 years got up off the ground. He stood tall. A man made whole. One moment in the valley. The next moment on the mountaintop. One moment, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the next moment, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Simple. Jesus is the answer. And I think sometimes, this is a caution, I think we need to be cautious. When we read scripture, we are quick to want to figure out who we are in the story, right? We want to understand how the story applies to us in our life. Which character do we relate to most? This is, this is something that we do sometimes, and it's not bad. But in this story, the primary character, the primary storyline, the primary person is Jesus. It's about his great and incomparable power. It's about his deep and unmatched mercy. It's about his unconditional and relentless love. The story is about Jesus. And yet, this is also true. That the more I embrace who Jesus is, the more I discover who I am. The more I understand his surpassed power, the more I realize how valuable I am that he has decided to use it to bless me. The more I value his unmatched mercy, the more I am humbled by his desire to see me made whole. The more I understand his relentless love, the more I am amazed that he has chosen to direct it in my direction. And you know what my favorite part of this story is? This man at the pool, he didn't know Jesus, who Jesus was. He didn't know his name. Actually, in the rest of the story, Jesus kind of disappears, and people, the Pharisees ask this guy, who, who was that who, who, who you're talking to? He says, I don't know. He didn't even know who he was. The man at the pool didn't ask Jesus to heal him. He didn't even ask Jesus to help him to the water's edge. Jesus saw one of his own suffering, and he moved to act. This man contributed nothing to his own healing. No faith, no prayer, no obedience. What a glorious truth. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything. Instead, in his grace... He has chosen to lend us his strength, to lend us his hope, to lend us 
his courage. And actually, it's even better than that. He's just not lending us these good things. Jesus has decided and chosen and decided it was right to lend us himself. It's written, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's not poetry. That's not figurative. The creator of the universe has taken up residence in your heart. The hope of the world has made his home in you. And when you are weak, he will be your strength. And when you are broken, he wants to be your healing. And when you are empty, he fills you. Jesus the Christ lives in you. And last week at our Holy and Spirit encounter, I stood here in this room and looked all across the room. And I got to see people discover for the first time this very good truth of Jesus wants good for them. I saw people trade their striving for his peace, their not enough for his provision, and their shame for his glory. In a moment, we're going to finish with a song that the, the team has prepared this morning. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as I finish, I, I, I just, I do feel a little bit embarrassed at the climax of this message. It's so simple. Jesus is the answer. Last year, someone came into my office with a look of desperation on her face. She was hurting. She was lost. Her faith was fading, and my heart felt heavy for her. And I wanted desperately to say the right thing to help her out of the valley. And we talked for at least an hour, and I did my best to encourage her, but none of it worked. She was still desperate, and she was still hurting, and I felt like I had nothing to offer her. And we had finished talking, and I asked if I could pray for her. And often when I pray for people, I do this thing where I, I, I tell them, I'm just going to take a moment to invite Jesus into this moment and, and to speak to me and give me clarity about how I should pray for you. And often, and, and then I'll be silent for one or two minutes. It, it's a little bit awkward sometimes, but, you know, Jesus speaks. We believe that here, and so I, I need to make space for it. So I say, I'm just going to be silent for two minutes, and while I do that, I'm just inviting Jesus to speak to you and to me. You know, sometimes Jesus gives me a scripture verse or he'll give me a picture I can share or some kind of word of wisdom uh, that would encourage. And so with her sitting across from me, I, I do this. I invite Jesus to speak. And I'm silent there with her for a minute or two. And honestly, you guys, I got nothing. I got no scripture. I got no picture, no word of wisdom that would help and so I prayed for her the best that I could. I said amen, a little bit disappointed. I opened my eyes and I looked up and her whole body language had changed. Her face had changed. And I asked her, I said, what is going on? What are you feeling right now? And she told me that while we were sitting there, in those two minutes of silence, Jesus spoke directly to her heart in peace, washed over. 
I was amazed. I, I gave my best advice. I gave my best encouragement, my best intention, my best prayers. And, and what finally worked with her was just, I had to shut up. I had to shut up and let Jesus speak. To let Jesus do what Jesus thinks. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Uh, there are things we can do to help us to be whole and healthy, right? Uh, we can make good decisions like being a, an active member of the local church. We can pray, we can read our Bible, we can live generous lives, we can surround ourselves with good people, we can connect with a counselor or a doctor when we need to do that. These are all things that help lead to healthy, full, whole lives. But I am convinced that it is through Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we can overcome. And you know that pithy saying that we started with today, the one that goes, God will never give you more than you can handle, the one that's not in the Bible anywhere? It doesn't say that in the Bible. But you know what it does say over and over and over and over again? is that God will never give us anything he can't handle. We can be overcomers. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the people who have joined us here in this place this morning and online. And I thank you that each one of us represents a different a series of life choices and a different week and a different set of emotions that some of us arrive here today on a mountaintop and some of us arrive here in a valley. Some of us have gotten to this place and we feel hopeless. We feel discouraged. Like we are broken and that there is no way for us to be made whole. And Jesus, right now I invite you and I ask you, to do what only you can do. That you would lend us your hope. That you would lend us your encouragement. That you would lend us yourself. We can work and we can strive and we can try to do all the right things to turn our lives around and overcome. But Jesus, without you, it will never last. So by your spirit, I invite you this morning, Jesus, to to heal those who need to be healed, to make whole those who need to be made whole, to encourage those who are discouraged. Empower each one of us this morning, Jesus. Pray this in your holiest name. In the name of Jesus, amen. We don't always finish with a song. Today we're going to finish with a song, and it's very simple. Uh, it's a very simple song. Uh, you'll catch on really quickly. It might be new to some of you. Uh, but I want to encourage you in this next three minutes or four minutes that we spend singing together, make this song a prayer where you need this, the lines and the lyrics to this song to be true in your life. Make it a prayer. Yes, it's worship. We're singing about Jesus. But it is, like Tash said at the beginning of our service, prayer takes many different forms. And so let the words of these songs, as we sing them over you, sing them over yourself. Yet not I, but Christ through me. So please stand as we finish our service together, singing together.